Time is running out to register for the Virtual Applied Ergonomics Conference 2021, taking place March 22nd through the 25th. Don't miss real-world validated solutions from ErgoCup contestants, breakout sessions, pre-conference workshops, and roundtable and master track sessions, hours of networking across multiple days, and up to six hours of CEUs. From keeping your workers safe from COVID-19, to social distancing in industry, to managing ergonomics remotely, we have it all. Register now at iise.org slash aec slash register. This is Problem Solved, the IISE podcast, where we talk to industrial and systems engineers about their work, ideas, and solutions. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Problem Solved, the IISE podcast. I'm David Brandt, IISE's Senior Manager of Digital Strategy and Production. And in this episode, we're going to be discussing agile principles and practices, how to lead an agile project, the challenges of adapting to agile in a virtual workspace, how to sprint plan your weekend. I'm just kidding about that last part. We're recording on a Friday afternoon, and that's just next to my agenda. Joining me today to discuss agile and possibly how to sprint plan my weekend are Joan Tafoya and Caitlin Kenny. Joan is the director of Sandia National Laboratories, leading its quality, assurance, and continuous improvement efforts. In this work, she has introduced and is actively using lean product development methods and agile practices in non-software application in an R&D environment. She's an IISE fellow and has a bachelor's in computer science and a master's in industrial engineering. Caitlin is a licensed PE, systems engineer, and agile coach at International Systems Management Corps, supporting U.S. Navy agile initiatives for software development. She has a bachelor's in industrial engineering, a master's in systems engineering, and is currently pursuing her PhD in project management with a focus on agile project monitoring and control systems. Longtime listeners of Problem Solved may remember Caitlin from our October 2019 episode on PE licensures making her the latest member of the repeat guest club for this podcast. Joan and Caitlin, thanks for taking this time to discuss Agile with us. Thanks for having us. Thank you, Dave. (laughs) This was a topic you both addressed in a presentation during the IISE annual conference and expo last November. And the conference's virtual nature itself is one of my best examples for the need to operate in an agile fashion since the start of the pandemic. But from a professional outlook, why is it important that we are talking about Agile, Scrum, and Kanban now? Are these methodologies remaining on top of mind in what we hope will be a post-pandemic world sometime later this year? Yeah, so I'll, I'll go ahead and take a pass at that. Uh, so I think Agile has been around really for a while, um, it, it, in, in my personal opinion. Uh, it, it really came out of a lot of industrial engineering practices and manufacturing, a lot of the good kind of lessons learned. Uh, the software world recognized uh, that there was a lot of benefit there, and so they started applying them uh, to software development. But Agile isn't just uh, just for software development, and I think COVID-19 has definitely uh, fast-tracked it, if you will, uh, in terms of adoption for how we manage uh, systems and projects um, in this very dynamic uh, climate and environment. 
Um, one of the greatest benefits of Agile is that it, it really focuses on that iterative and incremental um, approach, uh, allowing you to plan, uh, do, check, and act uh, rapidly and fast, um, and allowing you to you know pivot if what you're doing isn't working, um, or pursue if it is. Uh, so it's it's really about incorporating uh, change and allowing you to um, address issues in a in a you know a rapid manner. You know, picking up on that, thinking about the IASC conference, we heard from a keynote speaker that really talked about VUCA, the volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. And you asked if this is going to continue in this year. And I think it's going to continue every year, not just into 2021. And if I was to think about all that volatility and how do you, you know, really get yourself in a space where you can address it, I can't think of a better methodology than Agile. It helps you really understand those changing requirements and work with them rather than be completely dis- disrupted by those requirements. So I, as we think about our environment, not just today, but in the future, um, no matter where you're at, everybody's challenged by all of these changing customer needs, uh, the environment that they didn't see happening and all of a sudden now they have to face and agile practices allow us to be successful every day with that. So how is Agile different from other methodologies like waterfall, team organization, et cetera? You know, I want to pick that up. When I think about waterfall, we typically start with the conversation that says, okay, let's write down all of our requirements. And we end up with a long list, often books of requirements. And after we have all these requirements, we then ask ourselves, how much time does it take and how many people or resources do we need? Agile flips that whole conversation and says, okay, I've got two weeks. I've got my sprint or whatever your sprint is. I have six people in my scrum team. Now, what can I get done? So you don't start with requirements. You start with the time and the people. And what can I get done in support of delivering some incremental value to the customer? So it really changes up the way we think about delivering value. Yeah, I'll just add to that. So we were talking about, you know, using sprint planning. Um, and I think the the biggest thing is that um, it, in a traditional waterfall project, you plan with a lot of activities up front, a lot of requirements, um, independent resources, as Joan said. But I think it's really hard for us as project managers or just as ISEs um, to be able to project long-term what our plan is, right? So the, that variability uh, that cone of uncertainty, if you will, gets much, much wider the further out we go. So I probably have a pretty good idea of what I'm doing this weekend and probably can plan out that work. But next weekend, it's probably a little more fuzzy, right? Um, a month from now, I have no idea. Um, you know, So the, the further away we get from the time now, right, and what's happening right now, the information we have available now, um, the data, the resources, the time, um, the further away we get from that, the more variability and uncertainty there is. So it's not to say that you don't need long-term planning. You absolutely do, right? You need targets and milestones and objectives and all those things. Um, But just uh, Agile just allows for that flexibility to pivot uh, as new information becomes available. Um, Vice waterfall is really hard if you have rigid requirements, you have rigid contracting associated with that, et cetera. It can be really difficult for you to make a change. It can cost a lot of money and take a lot of time to implement that. And Agile is really focused on allowing you to do that as in as near, near real time as you possibly can. You know, one of the um, uh, challenges I get when I um, am trying to explain the benefits of Agile to people, they'll say, well, I, I know that we do that. It's a cross-functional team. 
And I try to remind them, no, it's actually quite different than a cross-functional team, right? A typical cross-functional team, you get assigned a project, you bring in all the right players, and then those folks are working on it, but then they leave that effort and then they go spend their time on something else. So the the members of the cross-functional team might be splitting their time across many different projects versus where an agile team, they are singularly focused, as uh, Caitlin said, on a goal. You have to have the goals and milestones, but they are singularly focused on that one goal, continually to iterate and bring in um, new value every single sprint. So to that point, Joan, what's the root problem that we're trying to solve with Agile or Scrum that we weren't already able to solve with these other methodologies? You know, in a lot of places, we find that we understand the problem. We see the issue out there. We know where the pain point might be, but we don't quite know how to get to that solution. We, we have to learn our way there to that solution. In those areas where we know the problem, but don't quite see the solution is where Agile fits best. And I believe that's in product development. So we often see a problem with some product. The product could be everything from a physical product like we touch, like the latest, greatest camera, or a product could be a, a business process. We got to have a new and more efficient business process. So we know we got to get better, but we don't know what the final solution is. Those are great candidates for applying agile practices. Yeah, I'll just add to that. You asked, like, what problem are we trying to solve? And I think um, the biggest challenge I think that any project has is change. Um, There are very few projects that start out with a very detailed, you know, set schedule, uh, very detailed set, uh, you know, budget. Um, You might have those things and they're they're valuable, right? They're good. Um, But we all experience change, no matter what we're doing or what we're building or what we're trying to achieve. Um, and I think Agile is just trying to enable and allow that change to be a little bit easier um, and to be a little bit more rapid uh, and not, I think sometimes we become uh, a little bit um, bound by our processes or bound by our controls. Um, and Agile is, is basically kind of challenging some of those assumptions up front to say that, you know, change isn't inherently bad. Failure isn't inherently bad, right? Those are all opportunities for us to learn and do better uh, and to, you know, hopefully uh, achieve a better result. So what our expectations are up front, uh, you know, may be totally different by the time we get to the end of a project um, because, because we've had those opportunities to to learn and build upon uh, what we initially sought out to do. On the change element, I want to pick up on where Caitlin was just talking about because there have been times in Agile projects where I uh, and my team get a signal of change and we think we need to react to it. And one of the things I love about Agile is every sprint, I check back in with my customer and said, okay, we heard or saw this. Does this now meet your needs? And there are times when Um, Yes, we have to adjust based on a customer, but others where we took too much of that change on where the customer said, you know what, that doesn't actually matter to me to to adjust there. So this regular connection with the customer to check in that your interpretation of the new requirements, the changes coming in is one of the huge advantages I find with Agile because they know how we're progressing all along the way and won't be surprised when we finally deliver something. Yeah, and just to kind of build on that point too, Joan, like 
our biggest source of variability in, in every scenario. It's not technology. It's not schedules. It's not budgets. It's humans. <laughs> it's humans in the loop, right? We are the biggest source of variability. And so, you know, uh, if you were my customer and you gave me a set of requirements, and if I didn't come back and check in with you after a little bit of time, right? There's a pretty good chance that my interpretation is totally different than yours. And that while I think I'm meeting that requirement, I may be delivering something that is not what you needed, not what you expected, not what you wanted. Uh, and so if we don't have those opportunities to to review and to demonstrate you know, what we've done um, and, and build in those opportunities for feedback, there's a really good chance that we're gonna waste a lot of time and waste a lot of resources. And you as my customer are just gonna be really upset because you're not getting what you need, right? So um, in order to kind of account for that, that human variability of on both ends, right? Uh, Agile really kind of tries to employ, you know, that that iterative nature, those iterative and incremental cycles to allow us to, to have those feedback loops um, and allow us to improve and continuously get better. Both of you have interesting jobs. You work for interesting organizations. Can you give us some case studies or some specific ways in which you use Agile in your work? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Sorry. This is a flip of the coin situation. <laughs> whoever, whoever, whoever calls heads gets to describe first. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, absolutely. There's, there definitely are. So I, I will admit that uh, as of a couple of years, Joan and I have talked about this before. As of a couple of years ago, I was probably the biggest agile skeptic. Uh, I thought, well, this is just a buzzword. You know, industrial engineers, we do this already. Like this isn't unique or special. Um, so what was what was the trigger? What was the turnaround? Well, for what you? I found was that I, I got, um, <laughs> I was working for. Um, a federally funded research and development center at the time. And I got put on um, an acquisition project actually, but it was for software development. Um, and so uh, the government was trying to figure out, you know, do we build or do we buy? Uh, and, you know, how do we assess requirements? What are our metrics? How do we measure, you know, success on this project or on this program? And it was the first time that I was introduced to Agile uh, as a project management methodology. Um, you know, to me, it just seemed like, well, it's that's just how you develop software. Um, you know, how is this apply? Um, but we used um, Agile principles and practices in how we actually built out our acquisitions. So we did like an iterative uh, cycle on our requirements. We did, you know, iterative cycling on our prototyping, uh, you know, where we had continuous kind of feedback loops and demonstrations of that work with, with our government customers uh, for them to say, yep, that's right, or no, it's not, and we need to change it. Um, and from that point on, I basically had the opportunity to work on um, a couple of different software development projects uh, that were using kind of agile in their project management um, as their project management methodology. So I'm not a software developer. Uh, you do not want me coding. <laughs> um, that's not my, my uh, forte or strength, but, um, but really the, the application of Agile as kind of a project management method um, definitely, definitely can be successful and can be helpful in terms of even, you know, just, just forming your requirements and, and iterating on that to get to, you know, get to the true use, use case or the true needs uh, that you're trying to, trying to solve. Um, because I think one of the other things too, is that like, 
you know, someone might tell you, here's my need or here's my problem I'm trying to solve, but nine times out of 10, that's not really the need and that's not really the problem they're trying to solve, right? Their problem might be something totally different. And so having those conversations and that back and forth and being able to come back to them and say, is this, does this meet your need? Does this work? Really helps you to kind of parse out, um, you know, what, what the actual problem is. It's a little bit kind of like the root cause analysis, you know, that a lot of industrial engineers that we've probably had to do in in our day jobs too. Um, You know, what seems obvious is, yeah, that's definitely the root cause. That's definitely the problem isn't always the case. And so um, Agile is really allowing you to to kind of explore that. Um, But in a, you know, in a safe environment, you can fail fast, you can fail small uh, instead of failing big, you know, before you spend a lot of time and resources on that. Joan, what about you? Well, at Sandia Labs, which um, I find it ironic that you practice this at a federally funded research and development center, because Sandia is as well funded by Department of Energy, is uh, we're all about the working better, more effectively, continuing to add value. I would suggest that any IE, ISE is working on that, trying to find more efficient ways to do it. And um, we want to ensure that our customer feels that value of our work products. And I want to highlight uh, the term I use for customers before I answer the question of how I applied it. A customer to me is anybody who receives our work product. So whether you're delivering things internally to your organization or externally beyond it, uh, other agencies, for instance, get the work products from Sandia, but I also have to give work products to uh, the labs. That's what we try to deliver. So one of my organization's responsibilities is to offer and certify our uh, Lean Green Belt across the laboratory. Of course, we did that in very interactive multi-day courses, and that all changed with, with COVID. So now we needed to completely change up how we deliver the class based on the virtual nature, but still make it engaging and practicing with a with different team building exercises. That whole work was done with uh, sprint plans, right? Within the scrum methodology, which we talk about in other places, but the scrum methodology really helped us uh, quickly iterate, try out new things with classes, bring out a new version of a class that we would never have thought possible just a year ago. And we've used it also with websites Uh, It's a small team that I have that does process uh, improvements. The demand is high. So we want to give a self-serve kind of model. So none of my team codes, right? And all of our applications, it's in a non-software environment. And so we work to build up websites and the content there and then work with others to put it on there. All that's done Uh, because you can see that you can launch those and make them iteratively better, you know, sprint after sprint, get feedback, adjust. And that's really helped us show customers not only that they get value right away, but adjust when we get questions that realize, oh my gosh, we didn't actually answer their question or help them get their work done. I also want to share from an application perspective, another way we're applying agile thinking is in Kanban's. So I have a small team that is really oversubscribed and we were struggling trying to figure out how to prioritize our work. Uh, I would imagine many ISEs out there listening to this have that similar problem. And so, you know, you can take it in as a first come, first serve kind of model, but that actually doesn't allow you to ensure you're getting the most value from your group and the highest leverage um, work is being done. 
So we set up a standard Kanban board and put in, you know, in terms of backlog, before moving something from backlog to what we uh, have here in, in process, is we go through some criteria, right? Does it meet um, our idea of an enterprise-wide improvement so that we can showcase to everybody what it looks like to do good planning? Does it have a leader support? So it's not just one of those small improvements at the bottom of the organization, but higher. And then we use the Kanban as an intake process that then feeds our agile um, scrum planning processes. So the encouragement here to the audience is don't just assume you can only have to do one methodology. You can mix and match as best fit your organization. Yeah, that's a really great point. That's been my experience as well. So um, I, I mentioned I work on software development projects, but I'm not a developer. But really kind of how we're applying it right now is um, we are trying to adopt uh, DevOps or DevSecOps, um, which is continuous improvement, continuous deployment, continuous integration processes um, for software development and deployment. Um, so think of like your Windows updates uh, or your Mac updates that you get on your laptop. Um, you know, those come out once a week, right? It's, it's continuous. Um, we, um, we're trying to implement some of those things within the Navy. Uh, and what we realized was that we didn't have the culture within the government organization. Um, you know, everybody said, yeah, go be agile, but nobody really understood what that meant um, and how, how to do that. And so we've really been using agile in a kind of project administration and project execution type of format. And so what Joan was just mentioning of using adopting Kanbans and Scrum, et cetera, we've done the same thing. So, um, we've, you know, helping our teams visualize their work, helping them control what their inputs are coming into their backlog, um, you know, helping them understand that limiting their work in process is their best friend, right? Um, it seems like, you know, uh, traditionally it would seem like, you know, well, if I have 100% productivity, I must be, you know, 100% productive in the cases you're actually not, right? Your throughput goes down. You have way more work in process. You have too many things that are unfinished, um, we know that as ISEs, right, that, that that's not the case, but that, not a lot of folks do know that or do realize that. And so um, there tends to be a culture of, well, I just got to be constantly busy. I got to have, you know, I got to be working on 20 things at once. I got to multitask, which is like, you know, the biggest myth uh, there is, right? We're, right? we're human. We can't multitask. Um, that's right. So, so we. No, you're you're preaching to the choir on that yeah, one, yes. You know, and, and, and and even as a as an uh, an, an an agile believer, I'm I'm guilty of that sometimes as well. But but these are all things that, like, as an ISC, were were you know inherent. I think. Um, but what we realized was that within our organization, that understanding or that culture just wasn't there. And so, in order to really walk the walk, uh, we had to talk the talk. And so, we took our government staff and contractor team. Teams and we basically said, you're going to sprint and you're going to focus on a product. And that product isn't necessarily a piece of software. That product may be, a, you know, an acquisition document or it may be, a, you know, it may be an onboarding document. It may be, a, you know, a systems engineering plan um, or training or something like that. We came up with um, kind of a model that worked for us and we've tailored that across our teams. So, um it's really been helpful because as we are bringing in developers and, and starting to have them, you know, interface with, with our government staff, our government staff now knows the lingo, knows the language, understands, you know, the principles and practices behind kind of what we're doing and 
why we're doing it. Uh, and so uh, that's been kind of the biggest shift in this whole approach for us is that we were very waterfall. We're DOD, very waterfall. We go, you know, start to finish. Everything is, you know, five years out, upfront planning, all of that. Um, but it's it's been taking, you know, learning by doing of basically saying, you know, here's a set of tools. Here's, you know, a Kanban board. We're going to do a daily standup. We're going to, you know, do reviews every, you know, every other week. Um, implementing those small changes uh, doesn't seem like a lot, but it has made our organization much better, much more flexible at responding to change as it comes across. So with all that said, <laughs> what is the negative? in agile where where would you not apply this how would you avoid using it what are your recommendations there because i hear you that agile helps us figure out sort of do's and don'ts but ultimately if you were to give another lesson at the annual conference just strictly on the don'ts (laughs) what would be on the don't list when it comes to agile oh man so i would say that agile is not Agile is not meant for everything. Uh, as much as I would like to think it is, it's not. Um, and I think. But you you weren't even a believer two I years wasn't ago. I believer, and now I'm like the biggest <laughs> one, right? But no, it's it's definitely not for every project, right? Like there are certain things that are that are quote well established or standard work, right? Um, that you don't have a lot of like changes that are coming in. It's it's you know I'm gonna build build the widget, and I've been building the widget the same way for 50 years. In those cases, Agile is not really appropriate, right? Because you have a set process, you have a set flow, you're not really managing a lot of changes. You can just execute on the plan because it's known. Um, Pick up just on that, right? The car manufacturers, there's a lot of ISEs in, in car manufacturing. You don't deliver incremental parts of a car. So, so just exactly what Caitlin just said. You, that's been done for a while. Yeah, we can improve it in, in line, but... You wouldn't use it for a car manufacturing. Yeah, exactly. That's a perfect example. So uh, coming from a, the, a DOD uh, support project working for the Navy, um, we have uh, kind of the do's and don'ts of Agile um, that we try to abide by. So uh, a lot of the myths are that um, Agile is something that we can just apply over our waterfall processes and we can just make our Agile processes reflect our waterfall processes. Um, and, and what it really comes down to is that that um, if if all you're doing is trying to relabel your processes that you've been doing the same way for years, you're not really agile, right? Agile is about change. Uh, so um, for us, uh, you know, some of the challenges were like we had um, decision making events, right? We had like sequential requirements development. Uh, we had you know rigid test methodologies and things like that. Um, and what we basically said was that you know those things change in an agile approach. They become more iterative. If you don't change them, then it's not agile. All you're doing is rebranding or renaming it. Um, So you have to adapt those to those iterative cycles so that you have those feedback loops. If you don't do that, then it's not going to work. And another example of where agile won't work, I think, is anything that has to do with um, repair or equipment repair or places where, you know, until it's done, you can't really start using it. so the thinking really is about what is a customer going to get if you stopped midway through? What's a customer going to get if you iterate it, right? You're not going to get much on it, iterating on a repair or manufacturing. So that's one of the places not to use it. I think one of the important parts of uh, ISE is to really have a 
broad toolbox. And what we are trying to introduce is that in many cases that we're facing today where the problem's known, but the solution's not known, one of the things you have to add to your toolbox is agile. And it's really about thinking, as Caitlin was talking about, agile thinking, not just you know trying to lay over some mechanics on top of something else. And that could include Scrum and Kanban and many other parts of it. But just add this into your toolbox. So what would your recommendations be to senior leaders? Uh, how would they move toward practicing agile work methods? You know, first off, I think the the challenging part for senior leaders is their language has to change and their rewards and recognitions have to change. So instead of asking, you know, the requirements question, what are your requirements? Where are your milestones? When's this going to be done? You start asking different questions around what, what am I going to see in two weeks? How did you improve this last sprint? Uh, what is, um, you know, what's the minimum viable product kind of conversations? Those kinds of dialogues between leaders are very different than the traditional outbrief of, you know, performance against schedule and cost analyses and things like that. Not that those don't matter. You, of course, have to match um, schedule and cost, but those don't become the predominant questions as much. Yeah, I think the shift in mindset is shifting from uh, dates drive rates, I think is the quote. Um, so in traditional kind of waterfall management, you put a date on a calendar and I throw as many resources and as much money and whatever I've got at it, right, to try to meet that date. And it's really shifting that thinking um, so that your your rates are driving your dates, right? Understanding your resources, understanding the skill sets, understanding capacity, understanding the information you have available. I mean, one of the biggest challenges that I face is, you know, hey, we want to we wanna go produce this piece of software for this capability, but not having the information available, right? Like, I don't have the technology, I, ha I don't have the models, I don't have the simulations, whatever that is, right? I don't have the right inputs. It doesn't make sense then to commit resources to go work on something if you're not ready to do that, right? It would be kind of the equivalent of saying, we'll go build a car, but not having any parts to go build the car. Um, so it's really it's really about shifting that mindset from, yes, you do care about resources. You do care about costs. You do care about schedules. You, that Those are all things that you still have. But understanding that um, you will be far more successful the closer you get the planning down to the doer, right? The person who's doing the work is going to have the best estimate of how long it takes to do that work, what the skill sets are required, what the problems, what the risks, what the issues, the challenges, et cetera. The person doing the work will be the best person to answer those questions. And I think a lot of times what happens um, for leadership is that they're tasked to go accomplish something, right? Um, but they're too far removed from the work that actually gets done. And so the closer you can integrate, the closer you can get into those conversations with your team, the more success you're going to have. Um, so I've been doing this for a couple of years and I've had the opportunity to work on a couple of different agile projects. The most successful of those agile projects are where my senior leaders actually embed with my teams. They come to our demos, they see the work that's being produced, they provide the feedback you know, in a timely manner, they know exactly what's going on in the project, right? Um, vice, you know, only only seeing it every you know couple months or only reading a report every couple of months. Um, 
the ones that are truly hands-on and, and embedded in those discussions tend to have the most success because it eliminates or reduces surprises. You triggered a, a thought for me, Caitlin, which is, you know, when we get a new project to start out with, we often don't have all the information we need to get started. So we, the first few sprints, a success looks like closing our knowledge gaps, naming the knowledge gap and then closing it. And then bringing the leader along that we don't quite know what the final result's going to be yet because here's our list of knowledge gaps we're working to close over the next three or four sprints. And as we learn and close those, in many cases, the leader learns something as well. And they end up changing their requirements, what they want to see at the end as we go along. So besides being embedded, which I think is great, you help the leader realize there's a lot of things we still have to discover through experimentation, failures, et cetera. So completely agree with you. The leader needs to be involved in it. Yeah, it's that transparency, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, I, <laughs> I had the benefit of participating in, in an exercise. It was like an assembly line exercise, uh, you know, and, and it was about controlling variability and understanding variability, right? And you, it's not that humans are inherently bad. It's not that, you know, we're, we're just, we're terrible at estimating and overcommitting and all those things. That's not the case at all, right? Things go wrong. Things, things happen. Challenges arise. Um, and so having that, that transparency and having that level of trust with your leadership and your leadership trusting your workforce, right, to execute on that project, that's what's going to make it successful. And that's how you're going to overcome challenges is because you're going to have those honest conversations of this is hard. I don't have the right information. I don't have the right skill set. I don't have the right resources. You have those conversations early and often throughout the cycle. Um, and so you're really, it's really about kind of optimizing that communication and minimizing, you know, those, those surprises kind of as they come along. To your point about those conversations, I was wondering if you could elaborate a little bit on the buy-in of Agile. I I sort of think of it in the context of which I've written about over the years for IISE, uh, for ISE Magazine, et cetera, about the buy-in for Lean. And there's always a mix amongst the workforce or the team about the results. Are they patient enough to see the data or is it in the process where they question more? What are those conversations like? How do you get them to jump on board knowing that this is a better way to do things? It's a fantastic question you're asking because the enthusiasm that Caitlin and I have about this comes through on anybody who's trying to sell this. And the management often says, yeah, right, that's just the latest new thing. So what is that compelling reason? Where I try to focus is on the ability to... uh, manage through change better rather than actual numbers, which will emerge. And just like in lean, you have this faith you have to go with for a while that it really will make a difference. Every manager, I think, in fact, every team gets very frustrated with the change coming their way and their inability to adjust to it as it comes in. So that has been the selling point for, for me. Yeah, I am. I'm laughing because I got this question this week. Um, <laughs> I feel like I get this question every week. Um, and, good and to know I'm in good company then. Because you're in great company. Um, and I, I laugh. I have a canned response now because I get a lot of folks that say, I'm not a believer. And I said, challenge accepted. Um, but, but the trick is, I think, the, the in, at least in my experience, it just takes time. Um, you know, 
I, I think like anything that's new, right? Um, the only way to really truly understand the benefit is to see the results and see the output. And to Joan's point, sometimes that isn't always clear, obvious up front because there's a learning curve um, that comes with that. But I think for, in my experience, at least, it just takes time. Um, but I think that the great benefit of that is that um, when you are kind of planning and executing in these small chunks and these small, you know, sprint cycles, um, or small increments of planning, you you have the opportunity to demonstrate the results of all the great work that your team is doing. And you have the opportunity to demonstrate on that request or that need or those requirements that are coming in. Um, so I think for me, at least, uh, you know, my senior leadership is not necessarily used to seeing um, those changes or those outputs coming that rapidly, right? They might see it come through, you know, in a quarterly report or something like that. Um, but, you know, with with my project and my teams, we're demonstrating work every couple of weeks. We're demonstrating progress, you know, and improvements every couple of weeks. Um, and sometimes those improvements are small, right? They're not necessarily, you know, life-changing. Um, but I think that's that's just a, it's a cultural shift and it just takes time. Um, I think the the best advice I can give to people is is not to feel frustrated by it, feel challenged by it, feel like it's an opportunity. Um, I, I used to feel really, really frustrated when I would get those questions of, well, how come you don't understand? How come, you know, how come it's not sinking in? Um, but I think now I look at it a little bit differently because it's it's an opportunity for me to bring someone along uh, and bring someone kind of in, in on, in on, you know, the secrets of Agile, if you will, um, to help them better understand how their work can be better and, and help, you know, help us all be better because we all have the same common shared goal. That's why we're all here. And the answer will be different depending on the audience, right? For those skeptics out there, if you're the leader, you know, those elements, as Caitlin was saying about, you get to see our progress much more frequently should appeal to them. You get to have input to change our direction more frequently should have input to them. But to the actual team members, you know, to tell them, wouldn't it be nice that you could take vacation and don't have to worry about work because we've actually planned it out and truly you're on vacation? Wouldn't it be nice that you can limit your work so that you're scheduling what you can actually get done in a day versus, say, a 16-hour day, two days in one kind of thing? And that begins to give them, I hope, I've seen at least, that begins to give them enough incentive to try it. Just go out there and let's let's give it a go. Yeah, and I think in, in the great thing about, you know, about having that control and that visibility exactly to your point, Joan, is like, I don't know about everybody else, but I experience Zoom fatigue, right? Um, I feel like I'm on conference calls all the time for work. And I feel like sometimes my day just feels like one big long meeting. But I appreciate the fact that with Agile, I have control over how many hours I'm committing. Um, I have control over how many, you know, what products I'm going to commit to getting done. Um, I have that flexibility to say, you know what, I need a day off. Um, I'm not going to plan, you know, over plan my schedule or over plan my work. Um, and so it, it's been, you know, for me, at least, you know, working remote and feeling like sometimes it's hard to separate work and home. Um, Agile has been a, a, an awesome uh, kind of opportunity uh, to kind of better control my work-life balance, you know, from a personal standpoint. And I think that's been true for my team as well. This is where my mass communications 
major choice uh, comes back and haunts me now because uh, you were talking about vacations and being able to manage time in such a way. And uh, I just don't think I took that class. I'm not even sure that class was available for my major now that I think about it. Uh, and I will be happy to give the crash course. Yes. Okay. I'm, I'm taking you up on that. We'll, we'll do a live thing. We'll maybe put it on our YouTube channel and just have everyone witness what the non-engineer does when he's introduced to all of this uh, in, in detail in front of his face and see if his life improves at all. Cause I would love to take a vacation. Uh, <laughs> Not that I don't. I should make that clear before I get hassled by my boss about it. At any rate, uh, why should ISCs embrace Agile and be uniquely qualified to lead in such roles? I want to circle back to um, the beginning where Caitlin mentioned, you know, it's about the people in the middle, right? So I can't think of a, another discipline other than ISEs that really appreciates and understands the value of the person in the middle with all of this other technical work going around them to make it all work, right? And so, as I hope you're hearing from our stories, right, this really is about a team working effectively and ISEs really get that person in the middle role that's critical to make Agile successful. The other part is that ISEs really appreciate the value of standards for speed. So you've been talking about how Agile helps us adjust to change and move forward. And it provides whatever methodology you choose, Kanban or Scrum or other ones, it provides structure in the way we think about our work, the way we connect, the flow of work. All of those activities and connections and flows are you know, just ingrained in ISEs, provides that structure to allow us to be more creative with our time and our thinking. So the, that unique combination of thinking about the whole system, uh, putting people in it because people make the system work and putting that all together with the, the value for standards is not as a way to reduce our innovation, but actually free us to think more, all makes ISEs uniquely um, positioned to do this. Yeah, I really couldn't have said it any better, Joan. Um, I, I think that's absolutely True. I think um, the only thing I would add is that I think uh, ISCs, in addition to, you know, being able to see kind of that whole system and holistic view and, and the flows and connection points, I think um, because of that, there's an organizational element that kind of comes into play as well, right? And I think ISCs have a great understanding of not only the human elements of the organization, um, but the technical organization as well, mm -hmm. right? We're not necessarily always the subject matter experts, but we know we typically know, you know, who we need to talk to and where that information lives. Um, and so I think it's something that ISCs are kind of primed for, I think, based on our backgrounds and our curriculum and our training. I think it's something that it, it's a way of thinking. Um, I think we're already agile thinkers. Um, we, we think in, you know, systems, uh, in a systems thinking approach. Uh, and I think that's what what makes us um, good candidates to be leaders um, in these types of roles. We sort of scratched the surface on some of this already, but what are some of the challenges then that you face when introducing agile methods? I've had employees that have felt very uncomfortable making all of their work transparent. Right. Agile only works when you truly describe your work and uh, just as importantly, highlight all the issues and hurdles and barriers you have to completing your work. Because part of the process is answering that question. And what help do I need? What hurdle do I have? What's blocking me? 
And many people don't like to showcase that they're having trouble getting their work done. So one of the hurdles we've had in that is people just not wanting to be transparent about it. Um, another really one is about taking on scope and then wanting to work in their own box. Okay, you gave me that task. I'm going to do it myself. I'll get back to you when, when it's done. Rather than the collaboration, agile teams are highly collaborative. And if you don't feel good working in that highly collaborative environment, uh, you're going to struggle with this methodology. Yeah, I've, I've experienced same issues as well. One of the other issues we've experienced is the, the self-organization or, um, of Agile. So Agile isn't about, you know, highly rigid organizational or decision-making structures. It's really about empowering at the lowest level possible um, the people doing the work to make decisions to get it done, right? It's really about focusing on that output, focusing on that throughput. Coming from a government kind of organization and government type of projects, that's that's sometimes really hard, um, especially, you know, in the Navy, we have a chain of command. And so I think there's um, there's a little bit of distrust, I think, at first of oh, I'm allowed to make that call or I'm allowed to move forward on that and, and trying to understand kind of what those those boundaries are and that it's okay, right, that you are allowed to kind of make decisions and move forward. And if it's the wrong, you know, the wrong choice, um, you can always reverse it. You can always change it. Um, so that's one of been one of our challenges. The other thing too has been the shift from um, a culture of uh, meetings to a culture of working sessions. Um, so I, I mentioned before, you know, a lot of Zoom fatigue. We had in our organization, we had a lot of unstructured meetings um, in the sense that like we didn't have agendas, we didn't really set time limits. You know, we weren't respectful, I think, of one another in terms of, uh, you know, why are we all on this phone call? This could have been an email. Um, so what Agile has kind of done for us is kind of challenged some of that, um, some of that behavior, but in a really good way, right? So um, we're, we're really respectful of one another's times. We use something called time boxing. Um, if, if you've never heard of time boxing, time boxing is basically just setting a timer, setting a time limit. Uh, you, you know, you set the time limit for the overall meeting and and then you set the time limit for how long you're going to talk about a topic or how long you're going to discuss something or work on something. Um, the idea being that you see how far you can get. And if you, you can't get it fully done, that's okay, right? You assign act after actions, right, or, or action items for folks to do that. Um, but that's been that's been a huge cultural shift for us in terms of it used to be like, you know, it felt like we were on the phone for 10 hours a day. And now I'm still on the phone, right? But but my conversations are much more focused and they're much more um, outcome focused or product focused. Um, so by the end of the meeting, you know, I have something tangible uh, that, you know, my team and I have worked on and that we can we can show to our leadership or, you know, uh, we can take to our, our next uh, working session. Um, so for us, that's been a big shift is really, uh, you know, not attending meetings for the sake of attending meetings, making sure that you're really, uh, you're really focused on, on achieving that product and that outcome. And that using that sprint, you know, planning, like having your set kind of list of work and tasks that you're working on together as a group um, helps you to make sure that you're focused and you're working on the right things um, at the right time. Uh, Cause I think the other, challenge for us was, you know, it's easy to get distracted by, you know, the the emergent taskers that might come across your desk or the emails or things like that. It really helps you kind of focus in on what's important and uh, what your, you know, near-term objectives are. 
the great American writer in me loves time boxing. Oh. <laughs> that sings to me. So I'm going to try to remember that. That's if I got any lesson out of this podcast, that's the one I personally, the communications major, am taking. But I think <laughs> both of you have made a very strong case today for Agile, and uh, we greatly appreciate you taking the time. Is there anything else you want to add to make that last sales pitch? Because, Caitlin, you were not a believer and you were reborn as an Agile <laughs> believer. So is there anything else you want to add to anyone out there listening who's just not buying it so far. I would just say if you're listening and you're an ISC, chances are pretty good that you have some experience with Agile. It may have just been called something else. Um, there's many components of Lean that kind of uh, we've we've adapted in the Agile world. Um, there's many components of, uh, you know, just kind of industrial engineering practices or systems engineering practices. Um, so if you're, you're totally not sure, um, I would just encourage you to take a look at, you know, there's tons of resources available out there, but take a look at some of your, your tools and your toolkit that you have as an ISC and think about it in terms of how does this help me continuously improve or how does this help me adapt to a change? Uh, and chances are pretty good that you might be doing some agile things already uh, in your day-to-day, day-to-day job. And I'd follow that up with, and as you start exploring this, as Caitlin said, there is a lot out there, but don't overwhelm yourself. Just start small. Set up a simple Kanban. Start practicing daily stand-ups with your team. Give yourself that time box. You know, we're going to get this done this week. And if you have the chance, go off and see other organizations whenever we get a chance to visit everybody else. But go off and see other organizations and how they're doing it. It's quite inspiring to see how it might be done. Well, all great lessons, all great advice. Uh, we we greatly appreciate you guys talking about this. And uh, we certainly hope that our listeners have taken this to heart and we'll go the agile way moving forward. For those listeners who stuck with us all the way to the end, and why would you not? Here's some bonus resources if it's along the path of your career trajectory. Don't forget to check out Caitlin's previous discussion with us about PE licensures with fellow guest Amy Greer from season one. You can find that episode at podcast.iise.org or wherever you found this episode you're listening to right now. We also mentioned earlier that Joan and Caitlin gave a presentation called Agile Methodology to Enable Rapid Process Innovation and Improvement at the virtual IISE Annual Conference and Expo 2020. You can still register for access to the online on-demand content from that conference by visiting iisc.org annual, clicking on the Now On Demand banner, and following the steps from there to register. This content is only available until the end of October 2021, so don't wait. Joan and Caitlin, thank you again for joining us. Thank you for having us. A lot of fun. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to this episode of Problem Solved, the IISE podcast, a production of the Institute of Industrial and Systems Engineers in Metro Atlanta. This podcast is produced by David Brandt, Keith Albertson, and Michael Hughes, and edited by David Brandt. You can listen to all episodes of Problem Solved and learn about sponsorship opportunities by visiting our website, podcast.iise.org. You can also learn more about IISE at the Institute's website, www.iise.org. 